Good morning. Well, since we've read from Revelation, we better go back to Zechariah because, you know, we shouldn't be in Revelation if we don't know our apocalyptic Old Testament preludes. Um, two weeks ago, today, and next Lord's Day, we'll be in Zechariah, uh, and maybe any future times I'm back, since I've got a whole drawer full of Zechariah sermons from the past three years been a teacher too long, 50 years, and so I just can't resist. I think we probably should start with a pop quiz. Uh, I realize the material's two years, two weeks old, but that's all right. Um, if someone were to ask you, in a nutshell, could you give me the theme of Zachariah? You'd say, oh, that's easy. It's in... Chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Idel. Aha. Do you remember what Zechariah means? Do you remember what Zechariah means? I mean, you remember. <laughs> And his daddy, Barakiah. See, you didn't think you were going to need it. Yeah, just like ninth graders. Is this going to be on the test? No, 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 no. It's going to be on the test. Zachariah, Barakiah, the Lord blesses, and Ido in his good time. And so you put those three generations of Levitical priests. Zachariah was called to be a prophet, but he was born in the line of Aaron. He was born a Levitical priest. You put those three generations together, the Lord, Jehovah, remembers. And do you remember what the verb remember nine out of ten times means in the Old Testament? It's a action. That, oh, who said that? You get free lunch at Chick-fil-A. Oh, shucks, they're closed. <laughs> Jehovah takes deliberate steps. That's what remember means. To bless in his good time. That's the theme of the book of Zechariah. The time of discipline, the time of spiritual spanking, the time of 70 years in the Babylonian woodshed, is over. And the invitation we saw two weeks ago, if you'll return to me, I can't wait to return to you and to bless you. Follow. I'm going to begin today at verse 7 of Zechariah 1 and go down through just verse 17. 7 through 17. Hear the word of the living God. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, so it's a vision. It's not a dream, it's, it's a vision. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, he was standing among the myrtle trees. 
in the ravine or glen valley. And behind him were red sorrel and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease, for while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Our Father, we have read mysterious words words apart from the help of your Holy Spirit would be beyond our understanding. And what cannot be understood cannot be beneficial. So we would wait upon you to instruct us, to give us a right and profitable understanding, and that our hearts would be encouraged by these kind and comforting words. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago we read those words, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty. I'll return to you. The Lord Almighty is the favorite title used some 52 times in this relatively short book, although Zechariah is the longest of the minor prophets. Minor, maybe we ought to stop there. How dare we call 12 books of God's Word minor? Who came up with that idea? What's the difference between the major, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the 12 minors? Well, it has nothing, obviously, whatsoever to do with substance or quality. The words of the minor prophets are just as much the breath of God as Isaiah. They're minor only in the sense that they are brief, uh, short, compared to the major prophets. But indeed, the minor prophets are 
the sharp, powerful, two-edged sword as much as the major prophets are. Well, this morning we begin uh, working our way through nine visions that were given to Zechariah all in one night. He apparently didn't get much sleep that night. Nine brief visions, but all of them making the same point. They are all full of kind and comforting words, and they are intended to bring encouragement to this group of 50,000, give or take, Jews who have packed up their bags and left Babylon. Most of them had been born in Babylon over the past 50 years. So the only members of Zachariah's congregation who could remember the temple had to be in their 70s and 80s and 90s. Because they'd been in Babylon for 70 years. So there were undoubtedly a few senior citizens who are now in their 80s and 90s who were children when Nebuchadnezzar came and took them away the Babylonian captivity. But most of Zechariah's congregation did not see Jerusalem in its prime. They never walked in the courts of the temple. They never saw the temple. It's something that their parents and their grandparents told them about, but it was not their experience. And so they have come back to a land that's really been laid waste these past 70 years. Um, that the city still lies in ruins in the temple. Other than its foundation, you would be hard-pressed to know where it was. And when they come back, they are greeted by what you and I might call squatters. Samaritans who have moved in over the years and have taken up residence and they're not at all pleased that the Jews have returned and they are resisting by words of intimidation and by threats of physical violence. It is Haggai and Zechariah's call to be prophets of encouragement to tell these 50,000 patriots that God's frown has been replaced by God's smile. It's his intention to visit them anew and afresh, to bless them, to prosper them, to restore good crops, and to replant them in the land. These visions are illustrations to make the main point more vivid. Charles Spurgeon said, that visions and parables are windows to let in the light. Parables and visions are windows to let in the light. Just like parables, it's important not to press every minute detail of the vision to find some spiritual uh, pearl, but to get the overall thrust, the overall meaning. And here, uh, in this first of the nine visions, let's 
analyze it and see what it is. It's addressed to Zechariah. Zechariah has um, an accompanying angel that takes him through the night, one vision to the next. Um, and uh, Zechariah is by himself. Verse 8, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing, or he was seated on this red horse. And where is he? He's down in a ravine. Um, down in a deep gorge. And the man was standing among myrtle trees that are down in this ravine. And there are, uh, and, and verse 10, so the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, these are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Uh, the man on the red horse has a, a, a group of soldiers or heralds ride on, riding on uh, white and, and other horses and, and those colors are I, I think that would be pressing the vision too far. Just a, a variety of horses that you would expect to find in um, a contingent of soldiers. And, and these soldiers have been on a reconnaissance mission. They've been going throughout all the earth and they have come back to report to the man seated on the red horse. And their report basically is that the kingdoms of all the earth are prospering and doing fine. They are at rest. They're eating, drinking, and making merry. Which prompts the man on the red horse to cry out to God, O Lord of hosts, how long Will Jerusalem continue to lie in ruins? How long will your heavy hand of judgment be upon this city? When's it Jerusalem's time to prosper, to be at rest? And we'll get to the answer. The man among the myrtle trees in a ravine. The myrtle tree is a small evergreen native to uh, Israel. Uh, I said I'm not that good of a botanist. I don't know how close it might be related to our crepe myrtle of Alabama, but this is an evergreen and it has a small white flower uh, which has no aroma until you press it between your fingers and then it emits a very pleasant aroma. These myrtle trees are not the mighty oaks of Lebanon or cedars of Lebanon, the mighty oaks of Israel. Uh, rather unimpressive. Um, a myrtle tree probably would not get more than eight you would not use it as lumber with which to build a house. More ornamental. I think in this vision, the myrtle tree, down in the ravine, down in a dark place, represents the nation of Israel, represents Jerusalem. 
Israel's not one of the mighty nations. It's not Babylon. It's not Egypt. It's not Syria. It's, it's Israel. It's a little myrtle tree. And for the past 70 years, it's been crushed. But that aroma has arisen before the nostrils of God as a sweet-smelling aroma. And he, the Lord, is remembering to bless in his time. Now, as we begin to read about this vision, this man riding on a red horse, we might not ascribe too much. But, but then he is identified. He is called the angel of the Lord. Do it real quick. Just three Old Testament passages. The first time the angel of the Lord appears in Scripture is in Genesis 16. Hagar has run afoul of her mistress Sarah and Sarah has sent her away with Abraham's permission. That's another whole story. But in Genesis 16, Hagar is by the side of the road. She's pregnant with Ishmael. Uh, she has run out of water. She's trying to walk back to Egypt, her homeland. And in Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And later, Hagar says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly have I been seen of him who looks after me. Therefore, the name of the well was Beer Lahai Roy, uh, the God who sees me. That's the first use of the term the angel of the Lord in Scripture. And then it appears uh, many more times in the Old Testament. I'll give you just one other illustration. Um, and that's in Genesis 18. I'm sorry, two other illustrations. Just a couple pages and Abraham uh, is seated in his tent and he sees three passerbys, probably um, international traders. Abraham lived right on the um, Fertile Crescent trading route uh, between Babylon and Egypt. He was used to having caravans come by and so this is nothing new but three men approach um, and he invites them for lunch and um, they do so. And uh, then after lunch, uh, two of the men who are in the 19th chapter identified as angels, uh, they go down the hill uh, to Sodom to rescue Lot before the destruction of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. The third man remains behind. And Abraham prays to him, and he is called the angel of the Lord. Uh, the, the third one I'll give you is Joshua 5. Uh, 
the children of Israel have crossed the Jordan River and their first obstacle is going to be the mighty fortress of um, Jericho. And as a good leader, Joshua is up early and doing reconnaissance. He's got his clipboard and his magic marker and he's by himself because he doesn't want to be seen and he's making a, a circumference of, of Jericho and taking notice as to where they might be most vulnerable because at this point, Joshua assumes that Jericho will have to be taken by normal military means. But while he is out on this reconnaissance walk, um, you find, um, it's not Jones, uh, yes, um, Joshua 5.13. When Joshua was uh, by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him and his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or against us? And he said, No, I, I'm not a Canaanite soldier. I'm, I'm, no, no, you don't want to. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. Identical words that Moses had heard at the burning bush back in Exodus. Those are not an exhaustive list that gives you a, a, a brief overview of this angel of the Lord, person of the Old Testament. The angel, and angel simply means messenger. And the messenger of the covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's ultimate and final and clearest messenger of the gospel. Of the word of God made flesh. And the angel of the Lord that appears to Hagar, the angel of the Lord who, to whom Abraham prayed that if some righteous could be found in Sodom, would he spare no uh, the angel before whom Joshua falls on his face and worships and who identifies himself as the commander of the Lord's army. Those are brief Old Testament appearances of, of the second person of the Trinity. Um, brief um, encounters. And, and, and that's, I believe, what Zechariah is seeing in this vision. Of this man on the red horse is not once but twice referred to verse 11 and they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees um, and, and these reconnaissance soldiers who have gone throughout all the earth have come back and are, are reporting to him um, and so here uh, Zechariah is seeing um, this vision, he's being led by his accompanying angel. And uh, the purpose of this vision is to announce to Zechariah, and then he in turn to his congregation, that the day has come. The day of salvation has come. What Daniel prayed for uh, right before his death, and the um, reestablishment of Jerusalem, the return of the Jews to their homeland. God is now doing. 
And during the past 70 years, the kingdoms of the earth have been prospering, and some have even been overly zealous in their punishment of Israel. Look at verse 14. And the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly zealous or jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I'm also exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry for a little while against Israel, they furthered the disaster. Um, I, I brought punishment upon a well-deserved, well-earned discipline upon my covenant-breaking people. But those who brought that were haughty and proud and arrogant. Uh, they thought that they were better than the Edomites who lived just south of Israel and were cousins. Uh, they were the descendants of um, Esau, Jacob's brother. And if anyone should have shown kindness, it's your first cousin. But the scriptures record that the Edomites cheered Nebuchadnezzar on. Um, they taunted and, and they took great delight uh, in the destruction of Jerusalem and, and the slaughter of their first cousins. And, and, and so God says, I'm, uh, I, I'm angry, but I'm exceedingly angry uh, with those who uh, thought of themselves as better than, more deserving than, more righteous than, uh, when indeed they were not. Um, the promise of God's faithfulness to his children, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned. That word that we saw earlier in the chapter, if you'll return to me, I promise, I'll return to you. And so thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house, that is the temple, shall be built in it declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. That means the city of Jerusalem, the walls will be reconstructed. It will once again be a vibrant, inhabited city. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Surely, the Lord is going to be with his people you want to go with me for just a moment back to the 73rd Psalm. Psalm 73. Uh, psalm of Asaph. It's a long psalm. I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but just the opening verses. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel. There's a declaration, a, a topical sentence you might say for the chapter. Uh, the writer of the psalm declares uh, a, a theological axiom, a truth. Surely, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But, oh, uh, surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet almost slipped out from under me. I hit a banana peel. My steps nearly, I lost my footing. 
Well, why? If God's good to Israel, what's your problem? Well, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't seem to have any pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. He goes on and on and describes a perplexing. says, here I am trying to leave a, lead a godly life. But all the beautiful people, um, they've got visas and MasterCards on their wall, and they're just able to solve pretty much any problem they have. Um, they resort to violence and to wickedness, and, and the judicial system winks at it. That, that's a, a problem. I, I feel perplexed. Um, down to verse 9. They set their mouths against the heavens, their tongue uh, struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge? In the, why is God tolerating this? I thought God was a God of justice. I, I thought he punished sin. And yet all the beautiful people on People Magazine just seem to prosper and flourish. And here I have to, can I afford a tithe check this month? I've got to pay the orthodontist. Is it worth the struggle? And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he says, my theological feet almost went out from under me. I was almost ready to just call it quits. This following the paths of righteousness doesn't seem to pay very well. And the eat, drink, and be merry crowd seemed to be getting all the perks. But then he confesses, if I spoke like that, I would be betraying my faith. And so, verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Oh, I look beyond the end of my notes and I realize that it is appointed that a man wants to die and after that the judgment. And so what does a prophet a man, as Jesus would say, if he gains the whole world, has more master visa and cards than you can count, but at the end you have to turn in all your marks. the end you don't take it with you and so as I reflect upon that and reflected upon God's faithfulness to me I, I realized uh, that 
blessings of the present life or the struggles, the difficulties of the current life, as Paul says in Romans, they are not worth comparing to the glories that await me. Then over to verse 23 to conclude. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward we will re- you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may faint or fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's really the point of the first vision that Zechariah has, that the difficult days in Babylon are over, and even though the current days uh, are a struggle with the Sanballats and Tobias uh, uh, mocking you and and intimidating you and threatening you and and the difficulty of reestablishing, be assured of this. Uh, God is uh, your strength. He is your salvation. It's his intention, Zechariah, Barakai, Ido. God is going to take deliberate steps to bless at this time. That's true for all of God's people in every age. Paul does talk pretty clearly in Romans 8 about the sufferings of this present world, and they are real and they are true. Uh, And yet, in the big picture, um, God has redeemed us, he has declared us, he is the God of our salvation. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord loves us and intends to do good. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that even though these scriptures are ancient, their usefulness to the present church are valid and and beyond dispute. Father, we thank you for kind and comforting words. We thank you that that you have promised that, lo, you'll be with us even unto the end of the age. That the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of Zechariah, is our God. That you are building your church that you are transforming us after the image of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And although life on this side of heaven has struggles and challenges and difficulties and heartaches and indeed sometimes severe sufferings, you are the God who will never leave us or forsake us. You come down to the ravine to that dark place. You are the captain of our salvation. May that be our joy and our comfort this day. We pray in Jesus' name.